Welcome to After Hours with Dr. Sigaloff, where he can share ideas and thoughts with you. He gets to the heart of the issue so that you can find the truth. The views and opinions expressed are his and do not represent the U.S. Army, DOD, nor the U.S. government. Dr. Sigaloff was either off duty or on approved leave, and Dr. Sigaloff was not in uniform at the time of recording. Now, to Dr. Sigaloff. Thank you for joining me again. I want to first thank all my Patreon subscribers. I've got Shell Pace at the $50 level, Sam and Angela Shelkey at the 2020 level, self-made level. At the Pandemic Reprimando level of $17.76, we have Ty, Charles, Tinfoil, Stanley, Dr. Anna, Frank, DePola. We have a self-made level at $10. We have the Refined Not Burned at $5 with Linda, Emmy, Joe, Pat and Bev, PJ, Rebecca, Elizabeth, Marcus, Dawn, and and the lowest level, the tier for one dollar a month is Amanda J. Spetsnasty and Darrell. Thank you so much for for being willing to support me today. I have a wonderful guest. She's back again. She's certainly a friend. I I would hope I can call her a personal friend. But we have Dr. Lee Merritt on, and we're going to be talking about what's going on in Ohio because she's been able to to talk to a mutual friend who's been in the area. He's actually been downwind, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? You know, I I got to just say the first thing here is that. We should always be skeptical. We've learned from COVID that you can really, you can have, they love visual presentations of things that just simply aren't true. And one of, and it's it's hard because people are afraid to speak out when they've got some, you know, crying woman saying it's killing my cats and my chickens and things like that. And you, you're, you know, hundreds of miles away and it's hard to argue with that. You hate to, you hate to, if it's true, you hate to, you know, question it, but we have to, because we got to realize that we're in a CGI world. And when you're in a CGI world, you have to get data, not just because you can see somebody crying on the phone. You know, we know in Dayton, Ohio, they had a, they had an actor's call for crisis actors before this. So there's things going on that don't make sense. You know, the, the, the whole, I, I don't know if you watched it. Did you watch the white noise, the, the, the movie that came out in 2022 that happened to just tell exactly what happened here, theoretically. I did not even hear about that movie until recently, but I haven't had a chance to watch okay, it. Okay, well, see, that's one of the, you know, they look, there's there's a concept of predictive programming. Jay Dyer talks about this a lot on his Hollywood stuff. I've interviewed him a couple of times. So it's not, I think it's not just about that. They they feel in this, this creepy religion, they have to tell you what they're going to do to you, because then if they do it and you don't object, they don't have any karmic debt. I think that's what's going on. But in any case, you can call it predictive programming, whatever. They seem to tell us ahead of time in movies, TV, all sorts of v- venues, what they're going to do. Well, about two years before this hit in East Palestine, before this train rollover, they had a, a movie that they filmed in that area. In fact, some of the people from East Palestine, Ohio, were extras in the movie, and here they are in real life, right? What's the chance? And the movie's theme is there's a train rollover. It puts out a big toxic black cloud, and it has toxicity that lasts for a long time, and people are going to die earlier than they would have had this not happened to them. They didn't die as acutely very much, but they did. They will die later. That's the, so, you, again, it's one of those unprovable threats. And so in the movie, I, I went back. So I watched the movie when I heard about it. And, and it's pretty interesting. The, the, again, they know that words are not as effective as images. So I thought to myself a couple days ago, I said, you know, what is it now that I watched the movie maybe about, I don't know, a week ago, ago a week and a half ago. And I said, 
now it's it's almost two weeks. What what do I think that I remember from the movie? What are the scenes that burned into my eyeballs? Because remember, I, I wish I had my little blue dryer ball here, but remember they showed you these pictures of SAR of this what they claimed was SARS-CoV-2. Now they knew it was CGI, but they didn't tell us that it was that blue ball with those spikes out of there. And they're saying, oh man, that's you know that's really scary and 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 it just looked awful, you know. And every you, I ask people in lectures, I say, what is that thing? And they say, oh, that's SARS-CoV-2 or the spike protein or, you know, something. And, and I say, no, that's CGI. That doesn't exist. That's not an electron microscope. They make you think it is, but it's not. It's just visual imagery from a computer. I said, it's not as really, it's not as dangerous as my dryer balls. I could put your eye out with them. So that's what's really going on here. And there's a lot of things you can do with CGI. Well, in this situation, they know that Images are important. So they had this movie, and the first thing I do remember the movie is this huge black cloud. I mean, it's creepy, and it's got electricity coming out of it and the whole bit. Well, the story goes that it came in this town in Ohio, and it's a college town, and they the, the professor has these kids, four kids or something, and his wife and everybody, and they end up fleeing in this in this wagon, in this black cloud, and he gets contaminated. And at the end of the movie, they say, well, I'm okay now, but they say I'm going to die sooner than I would have. That's the punchline. But the the visual images are the black cloud, and then it turns out that he's being asked before this happens to give a, a, a walk-on lecture. So he's in this other classroom, and it's kind of a circular, surround the professor kind of classroom. And he's in there, and he's wandering around, and he's got an Oxford black robe on. Who who except Oxford dons wears a professorial black robe? We don't see that in this country, but it, it's really creepy looking, and it's got the big sleeves, you know, and you can make it, you know. So he's got that on, and. And he's got dark hair and he looks like he could, you know, he, I bet he plays vampires in other movies. So <clears throat> he's wandering around and he just happens to be an expert in Hitler. So he throws Hitler's name down a few times. And then at the end, what does he do? He, he gets his robe on and he leans forward and he says, he walks to his students, he looks at him, he says, death, death, death. I mean, that, that's the scene out of the movie you remember. That's, that sounds and, uh, ridiculous. This is the kind of thing they do. So it's that's that's the psyop part of it. Now, I, I will tell you too that the the I looked at the, when I started hearing all this, I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. They're already talking about long term toxicity. I haven't even heard what's in these train cars. So I found on the on the web you could find the manifest. You could find out what the railroad says was in those train cars. And if you look at what the the list is of what the toxic things are. I mean, most of them, two of them were just not even to worry about. Okay. One of them was called butyl acrylate. And that's the thing that they're showing you when they show this oily surface kind of stuff. I mean, if anybody's driven their car across their driveway or, or repeatedly, like go to a parking lot of a, of a gas station or something, and you'll see that that, that you, if it's been raining or something, you'll see that little rainbow slick on the, on the water because that's what any hydrocarbon that doesn't mix with water will give you, right? And that's what this is. But it, God and the world have great rejuvenative powers. I mean, that's why he made it this way. We can really solve this. Just leave it alone because what you're seeing are these news reporters kicking up the bottoms of little creeks and stirring it with a stick to make that show up. Just leave it alone. It deposits in the ground and it biodegrades over two weeks. In the, in the, in the sun, 
it'll it'll just evaporate out of the water or it just goes off to the side where it goes in the soil and biodegrades. So people are all upset about that, but they, the, early on they were testing that downstream in the Ohio River and it wasn't, it was really dilute already by then. It was diluting out. So yes, short-term problem. If you have a shallow well or you drink directly out of the Ohio River, I probably wouldn't do it for a while or ever. But, but you know, most people with a deep well, that's not going to be an issue probably. I mean, it doesn't get in the aquifer. Now, here's the next thing. The next thing was ethylene glycol. And that, that's a big deal, okay? Ethylene glycol is a big deal. It, it's, it's not good for the environment, but we all use it. It's antifreeze. And I mean, you're on a, you're on an airbase. So what do they de-ice planes with? Oh, you're in, not in a place where it's icy. But in if you were in you know Alaska at the Air Force base, trust me, they'd be de-icing planes. And they use they try to use propylene glycol because it's not quite as toxic for the environment. But when it's too cold, they have to use ethylene glycol. So everybody worried about this realize when you're flying out of a cold environment, you know, coming out of Winnipeg, Canada, for example, and it's 60 below zero, I guarantee you they're going to spray ethylene glycol into the environment all over the wings of that plane it's going to it's going to flow down it's going to work its way out you know when it rains and quits freezing it's going to work its way out into the grassy knolls on the side of the tarmac and it's going to it's going to be an issue in the environment but it goes away eventually again it biodegrades so what they're tr so the one that they've kind of made a big deal about is vinyl chloride there were four tankers of vinyl chloride now it rolled over but it didn't burn those tankers were intact. They did not burn. But, but vinyl chloride is highly volatile. It is, a, it is a volatile liquid that is, so it's very flammable. It could explode. And here you've got it laying on in this tank that you can't move. What are you going to do? I mean, I guess you could pump it out into another tank and move it, but that doesn't get rid of all the vinyl chloride in those tanks. It just gets rid of what you pump out. So they determined that they would do something and they were going to burn it. Okay. They, they pumped it into a nearby ditch and they burned it or they burned it in the car. I can't remember, but whatever they did, they burned it. And I will tell you what everybody's saying is, Oh, when you burn that, it turns into dioxin, agent orange, you know, like Vietnam, it's going to get in the, it's going to get in our water supply and our food and everything. See, that's a mix. In my opinion, unless they purposely mixed it with, with old plastic sacks, you know, and PVC tubing, that doesn't happen to vinyl chloride. I've looked at the at the actual OSHA and NIOSH and what do you call it? There's a journal. I can't think of the name of the journal now, but it's a journal I looked up. What what how they follow it? I mean, they, these guys do studies on this. They know about it. There are chemists out there doing this, and what they say about vinyl chloride is it turns into hydro, hydrochloric acid and ultimately CO2. It'll go through, it'll, it'll give off some phosgene. Phosgene is the World War I gas, but it's, it, it, it disperses rapidly. So it was only good in World War I in the trenches. You know, it, didn't, it, it drops to the ground and it spreads out. It might have had some toxicity if you were right around the burn right then, but it doesn't last for long because it's going to disperse in the atmosphere and be so dilute as to not be anything. And it breaks down to carbon dioxide and hydrochloric acid. So at the end of the day, when you burn vinyl chloride, you get hydrochloric acid. Now, yes, acid rain, people have heard about that. They've heard, you know, that was a problem when we were spewing out sulfuric acid out of the factories. We don't do that anymore. You notice we don't talk about acid rain. We don't talk about deforestation or these acid lakes in, in Canada because we quit doing it. We just got the, we cleaned up the factories. So 
This is the difference. I tell people, just in simple, non-technical terms, okay, do you have a problem burning gasoline? And the answer is no. It's a hydrocarbon, but you burn it because it burns clean. You could burn your, you could, you could light it a, fl a flame with your leaves in the yard, I don't recommend this, with gasoline, and it would go poof, and you would not have toxicity from that gasoline. But try burning your tires. So see, you, you can make PVC is the problem with dioxin. This is why when you burn trash and it has, it has polyvinyl chloride and, and, the, and various different similar things in it, like making plastic bags, plastic cups, who knows what. If you burn trash in the backyard, you're producing a little bit of dioxin because it doesn't burn clean. It's, it's a mixed bag. It, just, it doesn't go poof. Vinyl chloride is like gasoline, your trash... And that, that's, that's like burning rubber tires. That's what gives you dioxin. Don't, don't do that. Don't burn it in your garden. I mean, don't, you know, people object when you burn smelling, smelly rubber tires. They don't object to gasoline. So there's a reason, and that's what's going on here. And I honestly think, what's the motive here? Because short-term toxicity isn't what they're looking for. They're going to, they want to convince people this is long-term toxicity because where did this cloud go? They know what the wind pattern is. It goes east. So the cloud went east. It went into the Ohio basin. It went into the, the Amish farm country, the big farms in Ohio that are the, some of the beautiful productive farms in this country. And also that land has very rich minerals, very rich things under the soil. So when, when my friend Pete Chambers, and you know, Lieutenant Colonel Pete Chambers, retired army, he went down there. I call him, by the way, I call him Action Jackson because he's always on site. Whenever there's something going on, he's there. <laughs> but he, he went there and I asked him, I said, okay, Pete, are you seeing dead animals? No. Are you seeing, are you coughing and sneezing and are you seeing toxicity? And he said, not where I am. And I'm right under the cloud. I mean, where that cloud went, I'm talking to the Amish farmers. I'm talking to the non-Amish farmers, the ranchers. They don't have any dead animals and they're not seeing a problem. What they all said to a person, they said, this happens all the time here. EPAs wants to take, you know, they want to take our land and we're not leaving. That's what he told me. And I think that's it. But I found another thing. I, I think I sent him this. And I'll tell you, I found another thing that this could be. If you look at the, and this is the one thing I was trying to look up before we started and I can't find where I put the note, but if you look at the, the code of federal regulations on, on using chemical and biologic agents against citizens within the nation. In other words, the, the, the Secretary of Defense has come out and said, we don't use, it is not legal to experiment on the American people with chemical or biologic agents. It's not, it's not legal. Well, that sounds good. Good for them, except except the exceptions. And then they have this whole list of exceptions. Yeah, they have a whole list of exceptions. Now, the first group of exceptions, interestingly, is in case it's okay if you're doing experiments for agriculture, medicine, pharmacology, or, you know, blah, blah, blah. So essentially, they've already given them the out for everything. But one of the things that it's okay to, to experiment on us with is if you've been exposed to a toxic agent, Okay to use experimental things. Okay to experiment on, on us if you've been exposed to a toxic agent. So see, we can say now, well, we don't know exactly the outcome here, but you guys have all been exposed to these toxins. We recommend that we give you this experimental drug because we think you're going to have a problem in the future. That's and not does legitimate. That, does that law and, have any removal of informed consent in it? It, it? it talks about informed consent, but doesn't define it. It's supposed to be individual, but doesn't define it. So again, if you have a moral belief that just telling you in general what's going to happen is enough, 
then they did it. Okay, they told us. Oh, and they also prepared us three months before this thing in Ohio. They they offered this whole program, and you could see the chief of the EMT service or something. I think he was more fire chief talking, and they're saying how they want 100% of the people to get this system because for $20 you can get a wristband and it carries your little QRS code that has all your data, so we can really take better care of you. You couldn't pay me to get one of those things. <laughs> you know, and why three months ago did they do it in East Palestine, Ohio? You see, you can't make this up. I mean, anybody paying attention, we should not we should not just allow ourselves to be tricked again when we saw what 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 COVID was. COVID wasn't a disease. It was a program. And they rolled it out over decades and they they told you what they were going to do. They 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 built infrastructure years ahead of time. They you know, we Richard Rothschild has the patent in 2015 for COVID-19 testing. And the, and the fact checkers, by the way, came out and said, oh, no, that's that's he's not that he's not one of the Rothschilds. Well, I don't care if he is or not. The point is, in two in, in international and our national patent office, it shows up as COVID-19 testing. Now, I remember when they were pretending to choose the name COVID-19 in December of 2019. OK, don't tell me they had the name in 2015. So that's it was all just Kabuki theater. And that's what's happening here. It's Kabuki theater because here's another reason. In the time that this has happened, now there are things that are worrisome when you have chemical plant fires. That's not a that's not a I wouldn't say it's controlled burn, but they called it that. But basically, a a, a think about if you didn't have a controlled burn, just let it sit there and the thing went exploded. That's an uncontrolled burn. Okay, so putting it in a ditch and, and burning it is still more controlled. But it, at the same time, this is happening. There's a big chemical fire in Russia. You wonder what happened there. And there's a big chemical fire in Texas going on, chemical plant fire that just got over, I think. But see, that's a mixed bag. You don't know what's burning. You don't know what's mixing together. I find that much more concerning, but you're not hearing anything about it. In fact, how many people know that in November of 2022, I think it was November, that they had the, the Illinois National Guard was called out because of a big chemical plant fire in Rockford. I think it was Rockford, Illinois. I mean, they called out the National Guard. They thought it was a big deal. And see, we never heard about that. So we're being told, you know, some things, but we're not being, you know, we have to keep the big picture in mind. Don't trust these guys. That's the big picture. Don't trust them what they're telling you. And I, I think this is going to turn out, I, I'm with Pete Chambers and, and, and Kesterson from Bards FM. He, Scott Kesterson, he told me this too. He think, they both think this is a land acquisition plan. Remember BLM burning down the cities in the summer? You know, that's like that ex-FEMA or the Catherine Austin Fitz. And she was showing that when she actually looked at the places that were burning, they weren't random. They were all in these special tax zones where the big guys could buy this stuff up at a song and get some tax benefit. And it, would, it, it aided their land acquisition. She said it wasn't random looting. It was land acquisition. And I think that's what we're seeing here. Catherine Austin Fitz. Yeah, I went to med school in Ohio. And one thing that, that everybody knew about is in the 1970s, I think it was the Cuyahoga River, it caught on fire. So, I mean, this is not, you know, unfortunately, we haven't been always the best stewards in that area of the world. 
But they're coming after the Amish who are, and I think that's another that's another sidelight here. You know, these are the two Amish farmers that one of them I know got fined like $220,000. They tried to set, shut down his farming operation because why? Because he wouldn't vaccinate his cattle and he wouldn't do some of the other stuff and he wanted to sell raw dairy stuff. Well, there's a lot of evidence coming out now that raw milk is safer than pasteurized milk for giving it doesn't give you the autoimmune disease and other problems. So uh, and I, I didn't really look into all that, but that's what I've heard, that that's coming out. And I, I know a lot of people that they can't drink regular milk. They say they have a milk allergy, but they can do the raw milk. So I'm not here to argue that one way or another, but I'm just pointing. He was doing that, and they shut him down and tried to fine him. But he won in court, at least a at least a preliminary thing. I don't know if it's finalized, but both of these guys, I think, won in court. So now we're in a situation where they can't destroy our food supply by vaccinating our cattle. They were going to do that. And and I'm going to tell you, that's the big the big play here. Besides land acquisition, the big play is depopulation and control. And how did they you know, we've seen it over and over. And and you probably know this. I, I had a an ex-husband who was a Marine colonel and he always used to say at the end of the day, warfare is about calorie control, about who, who has the calories, because if you can feed your own people, you can withstand a long siege. If you can't, if the other guy can't feed his, he can't. You know, it's like who can build weapons in, in Europe right now? Only the Russians. Everybody else doesn't have the power. So so that's what's going on. And in, in the, both the same people giving us this show are the same people that took down Christian Russia by the Bolsheviks. And how did they finally do it? They had to kill the most productive farmers, the kulaks, that were very independent. So I see that this is this is step one towards that. I mean, they're not killing us yet, but they're, they, they, they've tried to get us off our land through all these nonsensical, you know, floodplain, all sorts of stuff, artificial flooding of the Missouri River. I believe in that. It's crazy stuff that's been happening around here and, you know, uh, requiring all these things that are very expensive. But the farmers are hanging on and we should all support our local farmers because that's our food supply. You might think you get it from the local grocery store. Store, but they want to starve you, and you don't. If you if the local farmer goes down, you're not going to get it from these industrial farmers like Bill Gates because he's going to use his land for something else, and he's going to give you home lab grown, made with human cells, cannibalistic meat. I suspect, you know, that's what you don't want. So we have to really stand up and for our food supply. Or the Beyond Burger, which is toxic plant sludge. You and I were kind of talking about this earlier. About, you know, you recently had a tragedy with your chickens, but you're repopulating your chickens. I recently got some chickens. And this is, this might be a good time to think about getting animals around your house if you can. Not animals for, for pleasure, but animals that can provide for you. Whether it be a goat, a cow, chickens. You know, you can eat the chickens, you can eat the eggs, you can eat the eggs until they quit laying, then you eat the chicken. Um and we yeah. even discussed although layers layer hands it's they're they're, they're tough they're as leather <laughs> you don't want to eat those but if you're desperate you would yeah, yeah they're tough they make as, good as, soup yeah and then we even discussed a little bit and I, i'd like to mention this a little bit but because i have a freeze dryer and i believe you do too but a way to preserve your food and this isn't supposed to be a commercial i am in a recent affiliate of harvest right only because i truly believe in their equipment and i think it's great actually right now i'm uh, earlier today i I started onions and garlic to use as my own seasonings. That way I don't have to buy whatever it comes from China. I can either grow it myself or buy organic, and I can chop it up, freeze dry it, powderize it, and I can use it on, on my food. 
Yeah, that's a great idea. You know, and I will tell you a secret. If you haven't done it yet, I now I didn't do it with onions and garlic, but I was thinking about other spices. So I have lots of nice things like I grow oregano and basil and, you know, all the different things, parsley. And so one year I thought, now I figured out how to do it. But the first year I tried to do it, I put it in my harvest right on the trays and I had it all down there, got it really dry. And I have my harvest dried in a shed, and I walked out of the shed with this tray of freeze-dried basil, and poof, it blew away. <laughs> you know, that's, in fact, I had two of them, and my friend had two of them, and they all four blew away. It was a complete wasted lo load, you know. I was like, oh, my gosh, how stupid. So now I just put them right into sacks right at the time. Don't even yeah. touch the stuff. I just put it right in there, crumple it in the sacks, and you have beautiful dry. You don't even have to freeze them. You just could, it, just kind of keep them on your shelf. So it's great. I also do eggs. You could freeze-dried eggs. You can do eight dozen at a time. It's awesome. Yeah, on four, on the four-tray system. I did some eggs before we did one of our PCSs. And then three years after I preserved them and freeze-dried them and stuck them away, we opened it up. It was still delicious. My, I couldn't get my son to stop eating it. It was so good. And I wouldn't want to because it's a strong food. Yeah, now did you make them in like scrambled eggs? So I scrambled them and put some cheese in there. And they were... Yeah, that's what I do too. And they're very good, but they're very rich because you're probably, you know, it's like one of those trays is two dozen. So what I have in a little tiny package is essentially two dozen eggs. Normally your son doesn't get to eat two dozen eggs all at once. So he got a lot of, a lot of good calories. That's what you tend to eat more, I think, when you do it that way, because you don't dilute it out completely like it was, but they're great. Yeah. Now I tried, I, by the way, I also tried glassing eggs and that, that's, it, it works, but it's not as it's it's if you did it for just a short period of time, it's OK. I tried to do it now. Uh, I've done it. These are year old that are in my crocs right now. I've had one bad egg, but th they're fine. You can fry them like those are good for making a fried egg, but they're not when you're spoiled by home raised chicken eggs. The whites kind of just splay out. And they're not they're a little more like old store eggs, you know. But again, we're talking about for a contingency. Yeah, this is a this is a technique where you put them in a jar with lime, not not the the lime like the the fruit, but the the powder lime. Yeah, the powdered lime, powdered pickling lime, and there's a, pro, a proportion. I think it's a quarter cup, quarter cup of that per quart, and you just mix it up, put your put it in your crock, and then just slowly put these things down. And if you crack one, you want to take that out. Don't you have and you can't this has you cannot use store-bought eggs. These have to be right from the chicken. So, you know, what I would do is just if if I had chickens, this is what I would do because these are my hypothetical chickens. But what I would do is I would take them. Yeah, well, because technically in town, they're illegal. So in my hypothetical chickens on my eight and a half acres of undevelopable timberland, I I carefully layer them down and I, I pick out the, under the chicken, I pick out, I would pick out the ones that had no, nothing, no, no poop on it or anything. They're clean. They, they look clean to the eye. And then I would use those because you can't wash them. You got to put them right in there. Yeah. Yeah. This is like hypothetical chickens is like not telling anybody to use chlorine dioxide. But if I were, if it were me, I'd do it. You know, I use it, <laughs> but I don't recommend it because I don't want to go to jail. Right, right, right. <laughs> And and when you have your own laying eggs at home, they when they first lay, you don't want to wash them because they have like there's a film or something on the egg that helps preserve the egg on the shelf for a very long period of time. But if you wash them, they need to go in the fridge because it takes that off and does something to the pores in the egg and changes it. 
but I do say here's the thing about that. The problem is that if it rains or your chickens, you know, it's muddy or something, those those things you don't want to put them in your refrigerator like that. They just look terrible. I mean, they're covered with dirt and chicken shit. You know, I don't. So I I don't wash them with soap or anything, but I do I do just go like that. I put them when I come in. I just put them in water and I let them soak a little bit, and then I just kind of rub them with my hands, and that's enough. But they last for six weeks that way. They'll last forever. Right. And the reason why two doctors are talking about food and sustainability is because you need to have food at your house. I, I can't make that any more clear. You need to have food for you, your family. And if you're able to, you need to have it for your local community as well, for whoever, as far out as you can reach. If it just be your neighbors, a couple more neighbors down the street, if you have capacity to have many chickens, now is the time to do it because the next year may be rough. Hopefully I'm wrong, but it never hurts to be self-sustaining. And you know, my grandparents, they didn't call it prepping. It's so funny. I, you know, when I started hearing that term prepping, you know, a number of years ago, I thought, what are they talking about? Because in my lifetime, that's just what we called being an Iowan. Everybody stored food. Everybody knew how to can. Everybody had a garden. Everybody stored food. Many people in town had chickens in those days. That's just the way it was. And, you know, in World War II, it's good to note that in World War II, 50, almost 50% 50 of the food that was produced during the times of rationing, remember, they had rationing in World War II, like butter and things. 50% of, of, the, of the food produced during World War II were done in Liberty Gardens, people's backyard gardens, even in the city. So people should realize that everybody should be doing this, and it can, it can make the difference between saving your community. I'm kind of shocked at how few people in, in rural areas anymore know, know these skills. Yeah, and, and they could very well save your life. It's good to learn them now and, and practice it before you need to know it. And then we get into the issue of protection of your and family, like the what we're seeing with these overreach of government agencies. And I have to tell you, this is this is sounds crazy. And I've heard this for years and I never I never I, I just thought it was just too crazy. Yeah, about the national, about being a state national and not and, and what was really happening with our government. So I've been saying ever since COVID that we're what, what we're watching in Washington, D.C. is Kabuki theater. It's just not making sense. Ever since the so-called Biden inauguration, I said that's that it's not optically right. And, and I'm sure you noticed it. I mean, the military wasn't right. The, the whole procedure wasn't right. I said something is not right here. And lots of things have been wrong. I mean, the, so I got to say and, and Washington, D.C., I, I understand there are only two buildings downtown. I used to live there, went to the Pentagon all the time, went to these embassy parties it's a, usually it's a, it's like this it's like las vegas like there's a city that never sleeps it's or this new york the city that left it's like washington dc does that too there are always people moving around that capital it's dead and if you look at pictures now the, it's all empty down there it's dead and i understand from people on the ground there are only two buildings open the treasury and the visitor center to the white house so what's going on here well i'll tell you so i I first went down this rabbit hole because I spoke at Red Pill and I and I was listening G. Edward Griffin's program, Red Pill, and it's really a great if you ever have a chance to go to one. And I I was standing waiting to speak, so I'm behind the screen, and a guy named Payman Motahedi was speaking on the law about income taxes and what income taxes really are all about. And I listened to him and I said, You've got to be kidding me. That was my first 
you know, the opening salvo to my kind of waking up to maybe this is true that our government's fraudulent. Because what he explains is that you have a huge book of tax code, okay? And when you go to your tax attorney, which I had as a spine surgeon, I had a tax attorney, I had an accountant, you know, I had an office manager. I mean, my bill paying was went on forever. But, but, Really, they're just dealing with the tax code. They're not dealing with congressional law. So when you read the congressional law, here's what it says. And this is kind of crazy, but this is what it says. It says that, you know, in every, in every aspect of the tax code, they define their terms and only these terms apply. This was actually adjudicated at the Supreme Court level, that common, lang- common use of the language does not apply. It's what we tell you in these terms for this legal position. And this is what we tell you on, on taxes. So, for example, in the paragraph on oil exploration, it says, if you're going to explore for oil in the United States, or these territories, you have to pay a tax. And for the purpose of this paragraph, the United States is defined as the 50 states, the 50 states of the Union, you know, blah, 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 and it names the states. Okay. Then you get down to the paragraph on internal revenue, the federal income tax, okay? And it says, for the purpose of this paragraph, and these definitions are the only ones that apply, not, not any other definitions, any other part of this document, only for this paragraph and no other common use of the language. Tells you that again, okay? And then it says, all citizens of the United States are subject to the federal income tax. And the, the all citizens of the United States and District of Columbia are fed, subject to the federal income tax. For this purpose, the United States is defined as the District of Columbia, so <laughs> essentially it says only pe- it says people that are living or are working for businesses home ported in the district of columbia so if you're if you're a member of the post office if you're working for the post office or the work, you're in the military you're subject to the income tax cuz your business is headquartered is home ported in the district of columbia but for the rest of us that aren't aren't working for the district of columbia and don't live in the district of columbia the income the federal income tax does not apply to us and this was looked at by multiple irs agents you can find these videos now are coming out where these irs agents they took up the $60,000 challenge to try and prove that the income tax was required and they couldn't do it and they quit and they show these, they, they give their testimony on video and now they help people, you know, uh, that's what's going on. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it may be even creepier than that. The next step is this whole issue of, do we really have a federal government like we think we do? Because in 1861, I just, I, I again, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but I can read. And in 1861, it is true, 11 states left the, this is in the congressional record, 11 states left the, the Congress because those states were seceding from the Union, right? So you had 1861, Abraham Lincoln, the 11 states leave, there's no quorum. That means the Congress did not have a quorum. So now that, that, there's a term sine die or something is S I N E space D I E. And that, and basically the, the Congress never adjourned and they never reconvened. So to run the government, Abraham Lincoln had to evoke, invoke the emergency war powers act. And so it's being run under executive direction under the war powers act ever since that apparently is true. In fact, it's the, the 14th Amendment then was not ratified. And that's a big, 
there, you can look this up yourself. It's in the congressional record. They have this, I think it was from Louisiana. These congressmen from Louisiana are there and they're discussing this and they're saying the 14th Amendment was not ratified. And, and what it was for was to financially take over the workings of the federal government. And they they go through this whole thing, but it's like three pages in the in the federal record. So they did in fact discuss this. I looked this all up, and and so I've been kind of going down that. It's amazing. It's amazing. So w we may have a sham government that has been kabuki theater for a very long time. That's shocking to most people. I remember one thing about this line of thought is, and everybody go, you know, don't take my word for it, but go look at all of your your documents that have anything to do with money, your banking statements, your credit card statements, and look at your name. It's not the traditional way of spelling your name. It's not a capital letter and then go to lowercase and then a capital letter and then go to lowercase. It's all caps. And apparently that started at this time, you know, in 1871. That's when it got corporatized. Right. Or it's the corporate, the straw man of, of your body. And I take responsibility for the straw man. But if I don't take responsibility, then I'm not responsible for what the straw man has to do. And as a human, an actual living sovereign human, I don't need to take responsibility for what the straw man takes responsibility for. Right. And so the Americans in action are giving a seminar in Des Moines, Iowa on April 1st and 2nd. I'm going to go. I, I'm going to learn about this because I just for fun, I, I listened to one of their lectures and I they 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 do a they talk about doing a repudiation of getting yourself out of the corporation. I'm not repudiating being an American. I'm a proud American. I'm a patriot. I, I, I love my country, but I don't want to be a member of the corporation. I want to follow this. If you know, and the you know, yeah, that's right. I'm under the Constitution, so you know, and I'm and I'm a living, breathing child of God. I'm not a corporate entity that's dead, according to them. So if that's all true, I mean, what you do is you write a repudiation to the federal government, and what they're saying is that people that have done this and have asked to have their passport status changed because now they're a state citizen, they're a state sovereign or state national is what they call it. When you are, you know. The state of Texas is different than the state of Nebraska. We are separate countries that, you know, interact, but we are not the same. We are not under the same government. We are under a confederation, essentially. So what happens is when you do that and you repudiate this this corporate citizenship, you're, you, get diplom you get limited diplomatic immunity applied to your passport. And the people that have done this said, whoa. You can't see it different. It looks the same, but you give it to, if you have a friend on the sheriff's department that can run your passport, they'll go, whoa, who are you? That's what, that's what Christos Hartman that, that gives this lecture said. So I haven't done it yet. I'm just, but I will tell you the spiritual journey. I decided I, they have these examples of these letters of repudiation. So I took one of these and that's how I got into this. I started reading what she had written and then I verified every fact that she had put in there and a couple I couldn't verify. So I didn't, I left them out of my letter, but it, it really, you put down there is what you're asking for is to be out of the corporation and to be considered a, you know, I'm, I'm declaring my, my nationhood with my state of blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it does all that. And then it tells you the reasons why, just like the Declaration of Independent writers wrote the, the reasons. Okay. 
And we certainly have the same reasons in some of the cases, like when they said that the King George had sent out his minions hither and thither to, you know, harass and tax the people and eat out their life's blood. It sounds just like what's happening with all this overregulation now. But I read what she had written, and I started just thinking about my own. And I'd been hurting. I heard in this lecture that they give Americans in action that it's a spiritual journey writing this letter. And I thought, how could that be? You know, but in any case, I'll do it. I'll just see what it does. I started writing and I started writing my points about why I wanted to get out of it. And suddenly it really was. It's like my soul popped open. And I said, oh my gosh, I cannot live in this, this fraud again. I cannot take part in this because first of all, I don't want to, this is what I realized just on the federal income tax part. I asked a guy down at Red Pill, who's got a lot of money. I said, are you doing this? And he said, morally, I just can't give these bastards my money anymore. And I, and I, I kind of, I, yeah, I, I took that to heart. Well, it's not staying here. It's being used to kill children. It's being used to go to Ukraine and fight wars that we want nothing to do with. It's a, to, to poke a guy in the face and to start a nuclear war, nobody wants that. You know, I think just recently, and I don't know if this is a deep fake video, but with the guy over in Ukraine, he said, you know, your children, your, your boys and girls will come over here and die for us. No, we won't. <laughs> no, we won't. We will not do that. I right, guarantee I was, it. Yeah, I don't think we're going to put up with a draft to go do that. And I don't think their boys should die for it either. That, that's a whole other ugly story, what's really going on over there. That's another we could talk about sometime, because that's really ugly, including the fact that Ukraine is the biggest seller of body parts. It's a big body parts, sex trafficking, adrenochrome, everything. But what's happening actively as we speak, as, the, as these Ukrainian young men are sacrificed by NATO on the battlefield, there's a company called the Mozart Group, and they're over getting their body parts. They're harvesting organs from these guys that are maybe dead maybe almost dead, you know what I mean? And the mothers in Ukraine are like mothers everywhere are saying, where is my son's body? Well, they just harvested their organs and, and disposed of them. That's what's, that's what's happening. We don't want to be any part of that. And that's what I'm saying. That's why, that's why I think this is really important that people understand. We're not under a constitutional government anymore. We're under a rogue foreign state, essentially. And there, you know, when have real human beings ever wanted to fight each other and kill each other? You know, I mean, Christian ministers in this country have been proselytized to believe that they should support Ukraine when, in fact, they're rounding up Christian priests and ministers of the Russian Orthodox Church in Ukraine. And in, on the other hand, 30,000 churches have stood up under Putin in, in Russia. They're not being told the truth here what's going on. But that's why I think this is important. I, I think that everybody should look at this and think about it because you, you're not going to lose anything, it looks like. You're actually going to gain. And for you and me, by the way, here's the other thing is when you look at the and I would love to have you do this in your state, medical boards. OK, they just decided, by the way, to, to drop their investigation on me after I wrote the chief of the board. And I said, why are you investigating me for what the governor is saying? <laughs> you know, I'm saying the same thing. Don't mandate the military. But too late. But what, what the point, though, is, is that the medical board, I can't find where it's being paid by our state legislature. But I can tell you it might be that I can't find it. But I've got some people out looking for that. But what I can tell you is the legislature has no legislative authority over the medical board. They claim they did that so that there would be no interference that was political. Well, of course, it's still political. It's just you let this foreign agent do it. So, so now we don't have legislative control over it. The governor can't control it. 
So it's, it's without any elected official control in my state. And then it, you discover that it's being manipulated and actually can be fined if it doesn't do the bidding of the Federation of State Medical Boards. Now, the Federation of State Medical Boards, all that's a, I always thought it was just a big lobbying thing in, in D.C., and that's bad enough. It's a corporation that is incorporated in the state of Texas. So it's an international corporation. This international corporation, we have a member from Iowa who's also practicing medicine in New Zealand, and the FSMB is telling his board to thump him in New Zealand. So it's using the same words all around the world. This this organization that is that is incorporated in Texas. So what, what it says to me is that this is an a, we have a foreign agent in our state granting or prohibiting the practice of medicine. What? What's their jurisdiction? I just got a letter from the Texas Medical Board just this past week saying that I have to go before a litigation council. I gave them a letter from the government, from Department of Health Agency, saying that my privileges were restored and it never should have been, never should have been reported to the National Practitioner Data Bank. And now, after getting that letter, I have to go before litigation. Well, no, you don't, maybe. <laughs> maybe you should, maybe, because here's what I'm going to, here's what I would recommend. I'm not saying I'm a lawyer, but just consider this. See, I wrote, to, I did my, I thought I was, you know, this was legal and they were under, they had the jurisdiction and all this kind of stuff. And I thought it mattered. So I kept writing every time they'd ask me for information, I'd send it to them. I didn't send them patient charts, but I sent them my information, why I did this and what, why I believed about this and that and the other thing and why I said this. And I did that several times. This went on over a year and a half. And finally, I realized that every letter that had come to me was signed by a, a police investigator, not a doctor, not a member of the board, a police investigator that sits on the board. And when you go and appear before the board, like I haven't done that, but I've had friends that do it, who runs the meeting? It's not a doctor. It's the assistant attorney general of the state in many cases. I've seen, I've been on three of these and three states did this, okay? I think Merrill Nass just went against, for the fourth time is brought up in front of Maine. So the point I'm making is, are the doctors on the board even aware of the investigations going on? is who pays for the federal investigator or this this special investigator, which we never had them in my whole time in medicine. I've never seen these guys before. They just showed up a few years ago. We, Who are they? Where did they come from? Who pays them? And what gives them the authority to do these investigations? So I wanted to know for sure that the chairman of the board actually knew what was going on. So out of courtesy, you know, I wrote a letter, surgeon to surgeon. I said, you know, Dr. So-and-so, do you know that I'm just at, I'm just writing you as a courtesy because I want to make sure that you're in the loop. In all fairness, I did want to make sure that he was in the loop, that he wasn't just, you know, volunteering his time again, thinking he's a good guy, that he's doing his job for the state. And he's, a you know, a doctor with a lot of standing in the state and he should do it because you don't get paid much. It's just a courtesy kind of thing to be on the board. So I just said, why you realize they're coming after me for what the governor has just requested of the Biden administration not to mandate the military have any mandated vaccines. And that's all I was saying. When you're 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 it's about speech, it's not about patient care. Right, so maybe it's worth a letter, you know, to the chairman of the board who's a physician, the guy who's the physician, because 
What they don't realize is that they they are violating civil rights under the color of law, and that's a that's an offense. You can that's a codified offense, and in in when that in certain cases when that has to do with civil rights that lead to people's death, it's it's a very severely punishable offense. So they shouldn't be involved in this. Our fellow physicians have to understand their culpability about being involved in all this. That's a great point. I'll talk to my lawyer about that and and see if I can do that. Because it seems like no doctor is aware of what's going on. Yeah. Here's something else you learn. Interestingly, I learned this from Carrie Maude. That's the, she's the person that got me down on this doing the state national and introducing these people. So anyway, it turns out that let's say you're let's say you are going to go to jail for battery. I don't know, you know, assault and battery or something. You have, there are three people that sign your confinement paperwork, the judge, the prosecuting attorney, and your attorney, and they all get paid, even if you lose the case. It turns out that there's money that changes hands to your attorney who's defending you, even when you lose the case. So are they acting in your interest? You know, or are they acting just to get these cases chucked through? And, you know, if you're a member of the bar, the bar stands for British Agency Registration, I believe. I think the A is agency, British Agency Registration. In other words, they've actually, it's not something for America. It's under, our courts are under the British law courts. Is that under the, because I've heard of the city of London and how that's different than the actual capital London. Right. This, there are three cities that, right, and that's that's part of this. The, when the corp, when 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 after 1861, when the co Congress disbanded in 1871, we went bankrupt, and that's when the corporation started, and that's when they they essentially took over D.C. And there are three cities that don't that don't follow. The, they're not under the law of the country in which they reside. The Vatican City is not an Italian, that's a separate state. They consider that, and that's the one we knew about that we always thought it was kind of cute and weird that it was a separate country within a country there. And then you have the city of London, which is like a square mile area within the city of London, within London. The city of London, even the queen has to get permission or the king now has to get permission to go into. It's where all the banks are. Okay, it's where all the international banks are. And then the, the Washington DC, which again, that's why there's no voting there. It's not, it's a city of power in this corporation within our national borders, but it's not under the law of the national borders, which is why I think, I suspect that, see, because constitutional law doesn't matter there. It matters in your states, but not there. So that's probably why the J6ers are still stuck there. They can hold them in these federal prisons. They're, it's a lawless area. I was going to go out. I, I told Courtney Turner does a podcast. I said, you know, if this thing hasn't sorted itself out, if what, what's happening in the country hasn't sorted itself out by the midterms, we should go out like middle of October and just go and walk around D.C. and see what's going on. Take photographs, take videos, do man on the street interviews, just figure out firsthand what's going on. Because in a CGI world, that's the only way you really know what's going on. But, you know, later when it got closer to the time, I said, you know what? I don't feel like we should do that because I figured it out, and that's a foreign 
that's a foreign state without laws that, that, that we can be held like just if I go to, to, to Borneo and and run afoul of the law there, good luck. I don't have any way of, you know, it's not under my constitution. It's their laws. So I think that's what we've got going on. And it's crazier. That, I mean, what does that say? I, I, I will also say that, you know, because you're active duty and I was active duty military for almost 10 years. And I got to say, I'm a little bit distressed when I go on, like I was on a podcast the other day and I kind of sent them a kind of a snippy little reply, not a podcast, but I, I, one of these big email things from a lot of different people. And they're saying, it's the military that did this vaccine, not the, not Pfizer. They didn't start it. It was the military. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I just want to make sure that you understand. I'd like you to guys to stop saying it's the military. It wasn't the military. It wasn't the fine people I, I was with. It's not me. It's not Dr. Sigaloff or Dr. Chase. It's not you guys. It's some deep, dark red faction, we'll call them, for not loud, that's within our government. And they probably own DARPA. They probably are the big movers in some of these programs. But it's not the military. And just keep that in mind, not to mention that there could be there could be parts of our military that are part of this, some more than others and some people more obvious than others. But there are a lot of very fine military people that are, I think, in the background, I do think there's something going on. I don't think this is a it's certainly not a monolithic thing. And I think if the military in general recognized the lie here, there'd, there'd be a we'd, we'd be looking at some heart to heart problems that we'd be having right now. I don't know. But I think I personally think that there's the the look, we know that we're we've trained with the Russians, they've trained with us. The Russians are training with the Chinese, you know. They're they're working together over there in you to get and Ukraine is at the center of this mess and I think it's about done. I don't know. I think it's about done. That's a little off the topic, but I think we're coming down to some big end here pretty quick. And it's not going to be nuclear war. <laughs> You had said something in another podcast that I I didn't get to finish listening to it, but I, I like the idea, and I hope you're right, that they're running out of money because of they're like in the death throes. They're like that caged animal just lashing out, trying to do anything, and 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 your example of the the Super Bowl and how yeah it it was the same you know devil worshiping blah blah blah, but it wasn't a big production. It's it seems as if hopefully this is right. Right. Now, think about the ones with Madonna and things where. It's yeah, it was kind of meh. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other. Yeah. You know, the other part here is that when I think it was the, uh, well, Zelensky, the T-shirt man, when he went to Britain and he asked the defense minister something for some planes, the defense minister says, we don't have any friggin' planes. You know, so what's what has been happening, if nothing else, this is one thing I can observe, you know, and, and I and by the way, so. My practicing my Russian, I'm reading these like the Wagner group and these different Intel Slavazi in Russian. OK, and you got this guy that sounds like he's speaking, he's writing in Russian, but he sounds like he's on, he's clear on the Ukrainian side. He's talking about, well, you guys, you know, you, you spent how many how many weeks did it take? And you went 70 kilometers. And then the other guy said the the, 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 the guy supporting the Russian side said, well, but you realize what the point is. The point is not gathering land. The point is degrading the enemy. And in those three weeks, how many people did you lose? You know, so that's the kind of thing. And I do think that's the one thing that I can say for sure is that while the 
all this, why ever they're stuck around Bakhmut is the big kind of, it kind of reminds me of Fallujah. You know, they're, they're stuck in this, they call it the meat grinder of Bakhmut, and they're stuck there. It seems like they're spending an inordinate amount of time, and now they're encircling it, okay? Well, whatever the reason is for spending this inordinate amount of time, and the place just looks like a bombed-out wasteland at this point, so there's got to be stuff underground that they're, they're dealing with. But whatever it is, what I can tell you for sure is they're grinding up every NATO bit of weaponry that we are sending them. And I don't pretend to have an inside look at this. That just is my outside look. There, some military specialists can say I'm just completely full of it. But I think you can see it. And you can see both President Macron and the German and now the British people. They're all saying, those countries are all saying, we've run out of artillery and we've run out of, I mean, we've run out of equipment. We've run out of ammunition. We can't keep sending anymore. So now you've got lesser, now you got, they've finally convinced the Poles somehow to send some. So that says something. An interesting thing that I saw from another podcaster was watch Moldova. And what happens in Moldova, if they get attacked, then that will likely be the tinderbox that sets off World War III because of the munitions that they produce there and the munitions that are stored there. And how I think it's like a million of the, the person, the million of the citizens that live there are dual citizens. And so they have NATO citizenship and they have Moldovian citizenship, which is not NATO. And it's it used to be a, a block state. Well, but what would what would you know? That's a good thing. It's clever to say. I just don't know how that's going to play out because we already, in addition to what I just said, the we see people in Berlin and Germany putting up Russian flags, saying we're done. We don't want to be in there. Stop supporting Ukraine. We've got French doing it. We've got you know everybody around EU now is taking a stance. Australia. Remember, remember not too long ago when the Australian, what was it, the tennis player? There's a, I think it was an Australian tennis player or some big athlete was there and they wouldn't let him compete. No, the Russian wouldn't, they, they wouldn't let the Russian complete, compete. And, and they wouldn't let people put out Russian flags in support of him or whatever. I can't remember the whole story. But, but that's all turned around now. In fact, I just, I just texted Aussie Cossack and I said, you know what? I think you guys have really turned this around. Besides what I'm seeing in Bakhmut and, and what's happening, it looks like they're, it's towards the end there. When I look at Australia now, it looks like you've got everybody raising up the Russian flag and the Australians are not wanting to send money to Ukraine anymore. And it's really turned it around. And he just said, thank you. And said some other stuff. But yeah. I mean, it's, I think we've, we've seen a turnaround. So, so that might be true that Moldova has a bunch of weapons, but they don't have people. It's a little tiny country, okay? Are they going to send their own sons to die for Zelensky? See, that's where they're, we're down to. So unless you have some, you know, Dr. Strangelove or, you know, one of the James Bond villains that can push a button and start some catastrophe... These guys are not going to send their sons to die in Ukraine. In fact, just last night, the Ukrainians, I was reading the Ukrainians, and this guy, this guy is speaking it, and he's saying, you know, Bakhmut is not, and again, could be CGI. We don't know. We don't know if it's a Russian propaganda film, but this guy was saying, you know, Zelensky, these guys want us to fight, but they're not, we don't have any equipment. We don't have any people. We've lost two what was it? Two battalions or two big? What's under a battalion? I don't think is it companies. 
I think it's a battalion. I think he said battalions. That seems like a lot of people. But there's some a brigade. It was two brigades of people just this last couple of weeks in, in that area. He said, how long are we going to do this? And we're not going to die here for this guy. That's what he said. And so these guys are, they're pulling out. The, some of these Ukrainians are pulling back and they're not going to keep fighting because they said, we can see that Bakhmut's lost. We're not going to keep fighting this. This is crazy. So I, I don't think, I don't think it's going to be World War III. I think we're close as world. This is our World War III. We've been in it for a long time. I think World War III will look very different than any world world war in the past. In the past, it was country, nation state against nation state, country against country. But the people were united against those other countries. I think what we're going to see is, if this continues, is we're going to see maybe a country against another country, but the people against their country going to war. And it's going to be this weird civil slash country. Right. You can have civil wars inside of countries saying, no, we're not sending our children to die in that war that you want wherever in some foreign land where we have no business being. Yeah. And that's probably and that's probably the end of World War Three, because World War Three started with the covid outbreak, followed by the infrastructure demise, followed by the economic device, followed by the political machinations. We're in World War III. This is it. It's a multidimensional, unconventional, asymmetric warfare, mostly run through info and psyops. And people are just now waking up to it. And when they wake up to it, that's when stage four hits. <laughs> now, you know, so it's like a revolutionary war. So it's like a revolutionary war. And in a revolutionary war, there are three phases. The first phase is getting convincing people they need to revolt. So I think we're there. I think we've convinced people now they need to stand up for their children, which is essentially they're coming after to kill us and our children. So if you're not going to stand up now, you know, you're going to be like one of the, the, the loyalists in the revolution in America. But the second thing is, the second phase is passive resistance. And that's what we've been talking about here, just about how you can passively resist so your government doesn't use you and doesn't come after you in this because a faction within our government and a fact it's not the bad Chinese and the good Americans it's the factions within the Chinese the factions within America and and I think we're seeing some some the old guard in these the old guys that the generations in past that were not under these evil red factions are starting to rise up like the Thai royal family, like the old families in China. You're right. It's starting already, I think. But they're going to that's when passive resistance, you can do that. And when when passive resistance fails, passive resistance now is don't be if you're involved in any of this, stop helping the enemy. This whole show is being run by probably 300 people at the top who never get their hands dirty with some money managers and some political people next down. And then they use us to kill each other. They use our hands to do the dirty work. So if you're out there doing their dirty work, you have to stop now. If you're flying airplanes, if you're in the military or civilian and you're flying airplanes that are poisoning us with, with toxic chemicals, stop doing it. If you're a doctor or a nurse or a pharmacy tech giving these injections, stop doing it. Don't tell pregnant women to go out and get these vaccines. These, this is, it's time to wake up to the reality here. And because, you know, people think, even if you're being paid by the good, like Dr. Fauci, if you think people like him and people like the, the lower level below him that get, are 
getting paid and they know that they know the scam but they're just getting paid and they're willing to take it they think they're going to become the stars in the new world right the new world order that's not the way it works ask Yagoda ask Trotsky ask any of those guys when the when the when the bad guys take over they cut the ties with all the people that got them there and they murder them so <laughs> the first people to go are the people that help them get into power so you don't want to be those guys and also you don't want to be the people like the doctors that were doing bad things and the soldiers that were doing bad things that never made it to Nuremberg but their local communities took care of them yeah that's where we are everybody's got to stop tuning CD malice and Dr. Merritt, I want to have you back on sometime in the near future to talk about Nuremberg because you had brought up some interesting ideas. I don't want to get into it just yet. I want to leave a teaser out there because there's some like, like, whoa, that's what Nuremberg was about. History. It's interesting history. And we need to remember that when we have those trials, that we don't do just that. We actually have justice because we need justice. We need vindication and we need justice on this earth. There can be forgiveness, but we need justice. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been a pleasure as always. And where can people find you? Oh, yeah, at themedicalrebel.com, three words, themedicalrebel.com. And then I have a Rumble channel. And I'm actually having a lot of fun. I, my Rumble channel is also The Medical Rebel, or you can look it up by my name. But look under channels. I've got a Telegram site, Freedom Doc, and Freedom Doc 1, I guess. It's a picture of the plague mask. I'm, I'm in a plague mask with a pink background. That's my telegram. But what I've started doing recently is I have these, every once in a while there'll be something that's a hot topic. So I put these three bells out. And you know what rebel actually comes from the word? It comes from to rebel. That's really what it meant, rebel, to change the frequency. They used bells to treat people in the old days. You'd get inside them, they'd change the frequency, they'd get into a different bell. That's what we gotta do. So we're rebelling, we're changing the frequency, and then below that I have a little audio snip, so it's a lot of fun. I like that. Well, thank you so much for joining us again, and I hope to have you back on sometime soon. Yep. Will do. Thanks. See ya. Just a reminder for everyone out there, duty uniform of the day, the full armor of God. Let's all make courage more contagious than fear.